is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 31st, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Happy Halloween, uh, Sarah Abbott. Uh, I see you wearing a Halloween costume today. You have a Phillies cap on. (laughs) Yes, I do. I am officially, officially a lifelong Phillies fan. Yeah, uh, a life declared three weeks ago. Very nice. Uh, Sarah Abbott working from the Sarah Abbott Studios near Bristol, it appears. Uh, Taylor Schwink working from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut. And I'm Buster Olney down here in Philadelphia. Get ready for game three of the World Series. we got a great lineup for you today. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about game three. We're going to be speaking with Sarah Langs. And future Hall of Fame manager Bruce Bochy will join us. Not only to talk about uh, his new gig with the Texas Rangers, but also uh, to discuss what's it like managing in the World Series. Rob Thompson got a feel for that on Saturday with some of the reaction to what he did. All right, let's review how we got to this moment with the Phillies and the Astros tied one all in this best of seven series. In game one, the score was tied five all after the Phillies had come back from a 5-0 deficit against Justin Verlander. This is what happened. The 3-2 and a swing of the ball hit in the air to right field. Tucker going back. Tucker at the wall. Tucker jumps, and it is gone. It was into the stands and flies back out onto the field as something or someone hit it, but clearly into the seats and back onto the field. That is a home run for JT Real Muto. That, of course, the unmistakable voice of Dan Schulman. Here's what it sounded like in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the pitch on the way. And a swing and a bouncer to third. Up with it, Sosa. The throw to first is in time. And the Phillies win it. They come back from a 5 to nothing deficit in the early stages of the game, tie it in the middle innings, and then win it thanks to the home run by Real Muto in the top of the 10th and the job by Robertson in the bottom of the 10th. And the Phillies continue their role. Yeah, just to correct myself, yeah, that happened in the 10th inning, and I spoke with JT right after that. JT, how would you describe what you experienced in game one? Oh, pretty electric. I mean, it's hard. That that game was so up and down, so many emotions. Um, just glad we were able to come on top tonight. All right, the ball left your bat. What was your feeling about whether or not it would get out? You know, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't necessarily get all of it, but I knew with, with the short porch and right, um, once I saw Tucker going back to the wall, I thought I had a pretty good chance. Uh, luckily, it was just enough to get out of here. What are you feeling as you're circling the bases? Oh, I felt like I was floating around there. Uh, but then, to be honest, by the time I touched home plate, I was so focused on trying to get three more outs. We had the heart of their lineup coming up, and uh, those guys are never easy to get out. So I immediately pretty much turned my attention to those guys. What did you see on Castellanos' catch in the bottom of the ninth inning? That was incredible. Honestly, when I saw the ball go up, I thought it was game over because I just didn't think it was hit hard enough for him to be able to make that play and come in on it. Um, That's the second or third huge play he's made for us in right field this postseason, so um, hats off to him for that. What was the feeling in the dugout when you guys fell behind 5-0? Kind of the same thing it has been. every. I mean, anytime we fall behind, we have a lot of confidence ourselves. We know we just have to keep putting good at-bats together, and with this offense, um, as long as we got a chance, if we have outs left, we have confidence in ourselves. How are you feeling going into game two with Zach Wheeler on the mound? Uh, we feel great. I mean, obviously, it's huge to win game one. That's a really good team over there. They've got a great starting pitcher going as well. So it's going to be another battle. It should be a fun one. In game two, the Astros jumped all over the fastball of Zach Wheeler. They had three doubles among the first four pitches thrown in the game. Here was a third of those. Wheeler, a look back, and now the pitch, and a swing by Alvarez, and a fly ball to left. Hit pretty well. Schwarber back. He jumps, and it's over his head and off the wall. Pena around third. He'll come in to score. Alvarez standing at second. Three consecutive doubles and a 2 to nothing lead for the Astros. They would have a 3 to nothing lead after the first inning, and they would go on to win 5-2. to two. Jose Altuve who'd gone into game two with four hits and 37 at-bats in the postseason, had three hits in this game. I spoke to them afterward. Jose, you guys lost a five-run lead and lost game one. You came out firing tonight. 
with three doubles in the first four pitches. What was the game plan against Zach Wheeler? You know, we, we knew we were facing a good pitcher tonight, so just try to get our, our focus and get one pitch and, and one pitch we can drive, and I think we did it in the first inning and set the tone for uh, a good game like this one. All right, three hits for you. How great does that feel, given your postseason? No, it feels good, you know. Uh, obviously, a great game that I could help the team to win, and it, it helps my confidence to get bad my swing. So I feel good, and hopefully I keep going from now on and, and keep helping the team to win games. How hard has it been for you to deal with that? You know, I think the guys made it a lot easier because we were winning most of the games. Uh, yesterday we lost, but, you know, that's okay. And we came back tonight, uh, made a big adjustment, and, and we win the game. So. You know, I've been through a slump, but the guys, you know, been playing really good, and they've been helping me to get over that. What did you see in Framber Valdez tonight? Framber, you know, he's really good. He, he can, uh, you know, control his two-seam curveball, good mix, and he plays good for him tonight, and I'm happy for him. Played a lot of World Series games. It's 1-1 now, going to Philadelphia. What are you expecting? I don't think anything is done from any other, uh, for any team. Uh, we, I think we have to, to go out there and, and play our best game you know they're a really good team over there we know that so just go out there and and, and you know make the good plays win the batting and try to win some games jose thanks now an interesting situation framber valdez started for the astros he had a great game getting a lot of strikeouts a lot of ground balls but there was so much video out there uh, a lot of conversation social media about how he kept going to spots on his hand as if he had foreign substances marley rivera spoke with him after the game. Por último, lastly, Framber. There's a lot of videos out there and internet están los videos por todos lados, en los cuales te estás viendo como sobándote la mano. You're just rubbing your hand, rubbing your hand. Y tú sabes que cuando eso pasa, la gente empieza a pensar que uno está haciendo cosas ilegales. And you know that there's going to be some questions out there whether your performance was aided by some substances today. What, what was that about? No, eso es manía de uno, son mañas que uno coge para pa, pa buscar la manera de uno concentrarse, buscar la manera de uno coger el timing en el juego. Y yo pienso que hay ampalla para eso, me revisan cada inning, no tengo problema con eso. Me revisaban mis dos manos a confianza y simplemente me relajaba, mojaba la bola con mi sudor para poder coger time y tirar mi curva, mi cambio, mi sinker sin problema, nada, nada que ver. I wasn't doing that at all. I got checked both of my hands the entire time to the umpire. He's like, it's just I have different things that I do to calm myself down. And I kept rubbing, rubbing my hands. He's like, I would grab some sweat. I kept trying to my stinker. I kept grabbing the rose in. He's like, I'm just trying to work to get grip on my pitches. Felicidades, Framber. Congratulations. Muchas gracias. gracias. Thank you so much. Really nice job with that interview with Marley Rivera. The first asked Valdez about the questions about the sticky stuff. Sunday, the two teams traveled to Philadelphia, and Noah Syndergaard spoke to the reporters about starting game three later today. Yeah, I feel like I can go for as long as they'll allow me to. I mean, just got to – now is the time as ever to, to empty the tanks. I mean, leave nothing left. So um, I'll go as, as long as the, they'll allow me. Yeah, big question uh, going into games three and four for the Phillies is how much bulk of innings will the starting pitchers provide? Syndergaard may be capable at this point of throwing three to four innings. Ranger Suarez may be throwing three to four innings. So there's going to be a lot of outs left on the table for the bullpen. For the Astros, Lance McCullers will start. Dusty Baker talked about that. Lance would have probably been our our our, our ace last year um, going into the uh, playoffs and World Series, and so um, that was a very uh, devastating day, a down day when when he came in and said, "Hey, man, I think something's wrong, and I don't think I can pitch." And uh, you know, we still had good pitching, but you know, Lance has been our big game guy. So uh, yeah, I'm just glad to have him back and uh, have him for the series. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the low post twice a week. Check it out. Zach Lowe talking to the smartest people in basketball. I love it. You should love it, too. Listen, wherever you're listening. It's got to be podcast. LeBron. LeBron's got to be in there. <laughs> you think they're going to do LeBron talk on the NBA podcast, Buster? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart dude. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. 
Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing today? I'm well, Buster. How's it going? I'm doing great. You and I are both in our hotel in Philadelphia getting ready. For game three later today, it's supposed to rain. We could have a long night at the ballpark. But whenever they go on, we know this. The crowd is going to be fantastic. And I think we're in for a really great World Series based on what we saw in the first two games. What was your read? Well, first off, I was at game three of the Braves against the Phillies, which was the first home game, playoff game they played here in a long time and it's one of the loudest outdoor crowds i've ever seen and i fully believe the crowd was one reason why the phillies beat the braves in that series rob thompson told me after the game he said i've never seen a crowd stand and cheer like that from the first pitch to the last pitch that's how great the phillies fans were certainly in the Atlanta series, and I don't think there was any change in the Padre series. As we know, the Phillies are 5-0 and at home in this postseason. They really swing the bats in this place. So I think this series is very much on. I thought game one was one of the best World Series games I've ever covered, and I've covered for 41 years. I thought that game was over at 5 to nothing, and the Phillies said, I don't think so. Just another reminder, Buster, as corny as it sounds, that is a tough, fearless, resilient, uh, relentless team, and they're never going to give up the Phillies. I'm so impressed with the way they play, and yet in game two, we saw Framber Valdez, who was awfully good. Just another reminder how great that pitching is for the Astros. So we're, we've got a great series ahead. I picked it to go seven at the beginning, not like I know anything, but I'm staying with it because I think I think it's that good. So I had a really neat exchange after game one. Uh, you know, did the interviews on the field and then had to rush back up to the booth because we did the postgame show on ESPN radio. And who comes out of the the elevator through the hallway right there by the elevator in Houston, but Jim Crane, the Astros owner. And he just looks at me as he passes. And I don't really have a, you know, a, a longstanding relationship with Jim Crane, but he looks at me, puts his hand on my shoulder. He said, that was a great game, you know, which I, I thought was really cool that the losing owner who, you know, in a lot of cases, you and I have seen owners have thrown temper tantrums after the team loses games. Jim Crane as the the understanding say, you know what, that was a phenomenal baseball game. And then he probably knew, too, that his team would answer back uh, in game two, you know, by jumping on Zach Wheeler's fastballs, which is a whole other question as we move forward with this World Series. So it's one all going into game three. What's your read on where we stand? Because for me, my question is, and I picked the Astros to win the World Series in six before it started, but my question about the Phillies is, how are they going to get enough pitching? You know, in game three and game four, Noah Syndergaard, Ranger Suarez, probably going to throw three or four innings, which is a heavy tax in the bullpen. And then later in the series, you know, you got Zach Wheeler again. He just looked tired to me, Tim. He looks like a guy who's at the end of a, you know, like a, a long distance runner who's kind of staggering in mile 25 through a mile 26 marathon. What you read on the series now? Well, clearly the Astros have the starting pitching advantage now because because of who's going to start three and four against the Phillies. Now, remember, the Phillies started Noah Syndergaard against the Braves, and this is a guy who was a dominant pitcher at one point, pitched in the World Series, and was overpowering, but he's not that guy right now. You know, he averaged, you know, almost 10 strikeouts per nine innings coming into this season, and he averaged – you know, 6.6 strikeouts per nine innings. He doesn't throw as hard. He's not as dominant. So they need to get – they told me in, against the Braves he needs to give us three good innings, which he did. 
I think he's going to give him. He has to give them way more than three good innings tonight. He's got to give them five innings in that bullpen arrest. Rob Thompson handled that bullpen buster. You know this so perfectly in Game One. Reese Hoskins, after talking to him on the field after Game One, just looked at me and volunteered. By the way, he said, "Tom's was absolutely perfect tonight." Tom's is their nickname. For, for Rob Thompson, how he handled that bullpen. He had it all set up in advance. Alvarado's going to pitch in the fifth inning while we've got some momentum going here. This is a ninth-inning pitcher that he brought in in the fifth inning to make sure the Astros didn't score any more runs, and then the Phillies caught them. That was a difficult decision, but a brilliant decision by Thompson. But he's going to have to make a bunch more brilliant decisions to get through what's a difficult spot. Uh, with two, with a starting pitcher tonight, and maybe even with Ranger Suarez that they're not certain are going to be great. they got to get back to Nola and Wheeler in good shape, and that's going to be hard to do. But I disagree with you, Buster. I saw Wheeler pitch, and he was he got hit hard. You're right. But I don't think he's tired. I don't. He's had plenty of rest, and even though he's coming back from an injury and hasn't pitched in the seventh inning since, I've seen him in person dominant in this postseason. He just wasn't dominant in that game. I think he's got a chance to be that guy again. So if they can bring a lead to Nola and Wheeler, that's why I think this thing still has a chance to go seven games. Yeah, I think the reason why I, I felt like Wheeler might be a, a you know a classic case, and you and I have seen this many times through the years, of a starting pitcher at the end of the season being tired was that his velocity was down a few miles an hour. And you just kind of wonder, you know, in an injury a year in which he's had a lot of injuries, you know, is this something that's a, a factor for him as he goes? I'm glad you brought up Rob Thompson. Uh, we're going to be talking with Bruce Bochy coming up about uh, how it is to manage in the postseason. I thought Boach had a remarkable eye for the jugular. Joe Torre, I thought, did that really well in a postseason game. Rob Thompson, his first game in the World Series, he really demonstrated that. And what I loved is when we talked to him before game two about his thought process was he didn't look at it as from 30,000 feet uh, how he was going to structure his pitching. He really looked at the feel in the moment just to try to hold on in the moment in the progression of the game and keep it. Uh, you know, keep it close to give his uh, team a chance to score. Right. And Buster, this has been my concern with Major League Baseball during the analytics era is we are watching from 30,000 feet instead of actually watching the game. Rob Thompson watched the game on in game one. He recognized we we have the momentum now, even though we're behind. They are chasing us, even though we're behind. That's why he brought Alvarado into that game at that spot, saying, I got to hold it right here because we're going to score some more runs and we're going to do it soon. And they did. They got the game tied. And once you tie it up, everything changes. Buckshaw Walder used to always tell me when you're playing a team that technically is better than you, in other words, 106 wins compared to 87, you better punch them in the face first. Otherwise, you better take the game to the better team if you plan on beating them. Because if you just sit back, the better team is generally going to win. Well, that's what the Phillies have done all postseason is they punched first. Well, in game one, they were the ones that got punched first. And not only did they get off at the mat, they started punching back. They punched back with Alvarado in the fifth inning of that game, kept it where it was, and got the score tied and then won the game. Again, I cannot be more impressed with the way the Phillies played and reacted in game one. So it was important for the Phillies to get one of the first two games of the series. I'm sure you agree with me on that. And for the Astros, it was important to get Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez going. They did in game two with the, you know, in the end, uh, you, you had Altuve getting three hits. We had A.J. Hinch in the podcast on Friday, and he said something about Altuve, which really stuck with me. He said, this is somebody who can turn one hit into 10 faster than anybody. Because he can look completely out of sorts. He could be in a difficult space mentally. And once he gets rolling, he's unbelievable. And maybe that's the start of something that we saw in game two, Tim. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. That swing that Altuve took in game one, the strikeout where he 
He was so off balance. He missed it by a mile. His butt was going one way. The bat was the other. That was so unlike Jose Altuve. By the way, struck out in 16 straight postseason games. Jose Altuve. I mean, only Ryan Howard has had a longer streak in postseason history. Well, he turned it back quickly. And A.J. Hinch told me a story. This was several years ago while still managing the Astros. And when they got knocked out of one of those playoff series, I can't even remember which one. Altuve had a bad series, came into AJ's office in tears and blamed himself for the Astros losing that series. Blamed himself when the whole team lost. And AJ had to say, Jose, look, man, we lost as a team. That wasn't your fault. But that's how sensitive that kid is. That's how much he takes personally every every loss and every win. And I know when he struggles, he, he absolutely feels like he's let the city, the team, everyone down. But when he gets going, you better watch out. There's a reason why he's got this many hits and why he's been this great a player for this long. Now, that might have been like the young Altuve. I wonder if he's got more perspective, Tim, because I, I spoke with him before game one, and I spoke with him after game two, and what really jumped out at me was how much more perspective he seems to have now. And maybe it's going through the sign stealings aftermath, getting booed in every ballpark. Uh, I know this. When I asked him about the crowd in Philadelphia, uh, he just began to get this little grin on his face like, yeah, we'll be okay. We've played in some big crowds before. I, I think that when we talk about the impact of Philadelphia crowd in games three, four, and five, it's about how much they energize the Phillies players. I don't think they're going to have much effect on the Astros players. What about you? Yeah, I don't think so either. And I agree. That was the young Altuve that was crying in AJ's office, and he's grown up tremendously since. It just shows he's got a sensitive side to him, which actually – is a good thing in a lot of ways. And yes, yep. I think the Astros have been through so much. They are so used to being booed. I'm not saying they use it as a positive. We're going to show those guys. I'm not sure they still think that way, but I know it doesn't bother them. It will be loud and they'll be screamed at the entire game. But we know the Astros have found a way to, to get through that. Dusty Baker's had a lot to do with that. And they are a uniquely talented team, especially when it comes to pitching. All right, so in uh, Framber Valdez's uh, start in game two, there was a lot of t conversation on social media about the way he was rubbing his hands together, the way he was going to the same spot. Uh, and I must say, you know, and which led, led to a lot of speculation that he was using foreign substances. Uh, Marley Rivera did a great job interviewing him after the game. I must say that whole thing really bums me out much in the same way that it did with Joe Musgrove. And I think this is a failing of Major League Baseball in that, I, I mean, we saw, Tim, during the year that spin rates uh, began to jump dramatically the way that they did before they began checking pitchers for more substances. And I can tell you this, and I'm sure you have the same experience, people around the game assume that this stuff is back in the game. And the pitchers are using this just as they did before June of 2021, but it does seem like Major League Baseball wanted to look the other way on this. They do the cursory checks with the umpires, which don't really seem to be that aggressive. It's almost like we've gone back to, you know, uh, where they just want to look the other way. And, and I, and in that vacuum, because of the way that it's been administrated, I think in the second half of this year, in the face of that, you know, those, those uh, spend rates jumping dramatically, we all of a sudden have situations where Joe Musgrove and now Framber Valdez are uh, being asked questions about it because we don't know how serious these checks are. What do you think? Yeah. Well, first off, I've seen Framber Valdez do that with his hands like every time I've ever seen him pitch. He, this is something that he's done since he was a kid. And uh, to all of a sudden think, oh, well, he's now cheating in a World Series game. I'm, I'm not sure that's fair to look at it that way when I've seen him rub his hands together all the time. Um, his, his spin rate, whether is so good no matter what with that curveball and that, that sinker, it's ridiculous how good his stuff is. But I'm with you, Buster. If, you're, if, we're, if this is really a problem, and I've heard all about the spin rates, managers have whispered to me, hey, something's going on here. I've seen it. Uh, then we should check a little closer and maybe we need more than just put out your two hands and let the, let the umpires check you. But uh, if we have to go one way or another, we either have to crack down on this 
or quit talking about it at all. We can't do it in between, and I think that's kind of where we are right now. All right, what was your take on the whole situation with Martin Maldonado, uh, the Astros catcher before the World Series? You mentioned to me and, and Eduardo Perez in the Astros clubhouse that he had asked his friend and mentor, Albert Pujols, to send him some bats. Uh, he got about a half dozen bats, and I asked him why, and he said, well, I think Albert gets better wood. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, higher quality of wood. And so his intention was he was going to use that. He did in game one. And then before game two, he was told by Major League Baseball, look, you can't use those bats because they're maple bats. Uh, and he, Albert was allowed to use them because they were grandfathered in. At the time, they changed the rules on what type of wood could be used. And so he wasn't allowed to use them in game two. I think, on the other hand, this is totally reasonable by Major League Baseball. What do you think? Yes, I agree. If it's a rule, it's a rule. And if it got grandfathered in by pools, he's allowed. No one else is. If it's an illegal bat, then he shouldn't be allowed to use it. I don't think he knew it was an illegal bat. He's he's hitting ninth in the order for the Astros. And even though he had one of the most beautiful hit and runs I've ever seen, this is not this is not Maldonado trying to get an advantage with an illegal bat. He doesn't tell the media before the game, Hey, I'm using these illegal bats. Wait, wait, do you see what I do in game one? That's ridiculous. But yes, major league bait. We just said major league baseball should crack down more. If something's going on, then baseball cracked down because they deemed this was an illegal bat, take it out. And that's it. Use it again. You're suspended or whatever, not going to happen. And it's just unfortunate in the World Series here, we have two really kind of non-off-the-field stories, and that's not necessary this time of year. All right, before we move on from the World Series, we got three games here in Philadelphia. Who wins the the majority of these games? All right, I'm going to say because the Phillies are at home, they're going to win at least one and maybe two. I think for certain this series is going back to Houston. I know the Phillies play really well here. I can't see them winning three straight. I think the Astros are really good, but I don't see them winning three straight in Philadelphia's home park. So I'm going to say we're going back to Houston for game six. I'm not positive who's going to be ahead. I'm just warning you one more time, Buster. The Phillies play differently in this ballpark that the crowd changes a lot and you get this crowd into the game early as Reese Hoskins did with that three run Homer off alpha Spencer Strider. Uh, that's as loud an outdoor ballpark I've heard in a long time. So I'm saying we're going back to Houston one way or another, and I'm just not positive who's up three, two and who's down three, two. All right. And the Phillies, of course, 5-0 and in this postseason while playing home games. Matt Catraro takes over as manager of the Royals. What did you think about that decision? Well, Matt is a really smart guy. He's been up for previous jobs. He's been in a really good spot in order to learn how to be a manager. And I think he's precisely what the Royals need. The Royals need some help. They're going in a – they should have made more – you know, progress by now. They had the youngest, well, not the youngest team, but had a ton of rookies on that team. And given his great savvy baseball background and his understanding of analytics, I think he's going to be really good for the Royals. That doesn't mean they're going to win next year, but the young talent they have on their team, they should not be that far away from being a dangerous team, which they were not this year. And I think he's perfect for it. And again, the lessons he's learned along the way in Tampa Bay and in Cleveland with, with uh, cash and, um, and, T- and Tito Francona, I think he's learned what it takes to be a great manager just by watching the managers he's worked for. And the big question for me about the Royals moving forward is how do they get major league players, guys who are in the big leagues to continue to get better? Cause it does feel like they've had a lot of guys stall at the big league level. Yeah. And that's a problem, but you know, Brady Singer, for instance, has gotten better this year, way better this year on the major league level. And that's what they're going to have to do is develop some more people once they get there, they draft and develop pretty well. Uh, you know, Dayton Moore was really good at that. And now it's time to get it going on the big league level, which can be difficult, Buster, trying to learn how to play the game on the highest level. A lot of failure involved, a lot of difficulties. All right. We're going to have Bruce Bochy coming up here in a moment. Give me your favorite Bruce Bochy story. Well, first off, Bruce Bochy is one of the great managers I've ever been around. Uh, 
nobody but nobody handles a bullpen better than Bruce Bochy, and nobody but nobody deals with people. Tito Francona is great at this too, but he's just got such a great feel for situations and for people. But and Boch told me this story, which I think. <laughs> Just speaks to just how self-deprecating he is. As you know, he's got a, a head size over eight. So I once asked him about about how big his head was. So he hit. He told me he used. He got traded twice, so he would have to take his helmet with him when he got traded, and then the new <laughs> team would spray paint his helmet the color of the new team because they didn't have a helmet to fit him when he went to his new team. So he once hit a walk-off homer against Nolan Ryan. The only player ever to hit a walk-off homer off of Nolan Ryan was Bruce Bochy. So they ran a red carpet from the beginning of the clubhouse in San Diego right to his locker. Terry Kennedy told me this story. And in his locker, after the home run off Nolan Ryan, they had a six-pack of beer with ice in Bochy's helmet at his <laughs> So Terry Kennedy looks at me and he goes, you can get a, a lot, you can get a six pack of beer in a lot of guys' helmets, but only in Bochy's helmet can you get a six pack of beer with ice. That's who <laughs> Bruce Bochy is. And when I, t- when I told him that story, naturally he laughed out loud because he understands this is who I am. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm even laughing at it. And that speaks directly to why he's such a good manager is he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's willing to have a good laugh on anyone's account, including his. That's why I think he is the perfect fit to take the Rangers to the next level. Before you go, give me Bruce Bochy's lifetime batting average in the World Series. Um, I think it's a thousand, isn't it? Yes. He, he pinch hit Dick Williams put him in to pinch hit in '84, and I think he told me the first pitch he he saw he had a he had a home run, but it was foul, and he's thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to hit a home run in my first and only major league at bat." But it was just foul. But then he got it. He got a hit. So he's one for one, I believe, in his World Series career. Is that correct? That is correct. You nailed it. <laughs> I'm going to ask him about that and maybe about having a head that he had to spray paint his helmet whenever he traveled. So <laughs> beautiful, Bruce Bochy. God, it's so great. All right, Tim. Thanks for doing this. I'll see you at the park later. Okay, Buster. Take care. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Bruce Bochy is the new manager of the Texas Rangers after a Hall of Fame career managing the San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants. And Boach, before that, you were a player, and Tim Kirchin and I were talking about how you have a 1,000 batting average in the World Series. How the heck did that happen? Yeah, how about that? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. I got one at bat. So, And uh, Dick Williams was uh, 
was nice enough, good enough to uh, to give me a one at bat. I was uh, I was backing up Terry Kennedy at the time, and um, it was the last game, and and so uh, they brought in their uh, lefty, their closer Hernandez, and uh, he let me pinch hit, and uh, I got a base hit. Uh, in fact, it was uh, Alan Trammell tried to make a diving uh, play on it, and Tram ended up being my coach. I used to kill him. I said, "You would be here if you caught that ball." So anyway. Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my highlights as a player. Well, and Tim was saying, I, and I didn't, I didn't remember this. He said that you told him that uh, you nearly had not only one hit in the World Series, beyond the one hit in the World Series, almost hit a home run. Yeah, you know, the first pitch, uh, uh, I hit uh, a ball out that was probably about, I don't know, 10 feet foul. And uh, I kid people, you know, uh, being a role player, I said, my only problem, I, I hit 714 home runs, but they were all foul. And, uh, and uh, that, that was another one of those. And, uh, um, you know, your adrenaline's going and the bat felt like a toothpick in my hand. And uh, actually, the ball was, uh, I still remember the pitch as the fastball away. And I, I still pulled it foul, but uh uh, yeah, I was I was a dead pole hitter, and I I, I hit a few of those. I will say. All right, so I, I thought of you the other day uh, when I was watching Rob Thompson manage Game One of the World Series. He got all kinds of kudos uh, for being aggressive with the use of his bullpen. I remember a conversation with you uh, during the 2014 World Series where I walked up to you and said, "Hey, I'm trying to keep track. Are you a complete idiot today, or are you a total genius?" Because is that what it feels like managing in the World Series? Because all of a sudden the whole world drops in on decisions you've been making all year? You know, it's a good point, and it, it really is. Uh, because if, uh, if they work, uh, you know, you get all the uh, accolades. If it doesn't, uh, of course, hey, how come we did this? And uh, But you know what? I, I And he's done a great job. And, and I will say, once you get to the postseason, I mean, you do do things different. Uh I mean, that margin of error, it's just not there uh, like you have during the season. You know, you're in a, a three-game, five-game, or seven-game series, so every game's so important. And, uh, and of course, the way you're using your pitching, you know, you, you may have to use your starter or, you know, somebody that's not accustomed to pitching in a certain role. And, and you tell your pitchers that, especially uh, your bullpen guys, because they have their routines down there. You know, even like that seventh game in uh, Kansas City in 2014, you know, I had to tell them all, uh, hey, you need to be ready from pitch one. Because, uh, you know, Jeremy Haswell, for example, he, he had this routine. He had to put on these knee guards and, you know, and get all this stuff done. And, you know, that, that would take him a half hour, 45 minutes. So I want to make sure that he was good to go. But, uh but, you know, getting back to your point, uh, yeah, you know, if they work out, they look great. If not, uh, uh, you know, you, you got to answer that question. And because people want to know, and, and you understand it. Uh, so, but really, uh, Tom, he's, he's doing a great job. His personality reminds me somewhat of yours in that I, I get the feeling that Rob would be completely okay with whatever said. He seems to be at peace with that. Which you know, I've I've seen managers who've had a hard time with the criticism. How did you get to be at peace with that? Well, I think more than anything, you understand it. You, you have to, and uh, you know, I go. It goes back to uh, you know my first year, and I, I still remember a, a conversation I had with Bobby Cox, and uh, and uh, he told me uh, he said, you know, you might not want to read the papers or. Uh, or listen to the talk shows because, you know, you're going to get ticked off and it could even influence you how you manage. If you're thinking, well, I got to do what they think. And, uh, and, and, you know, I took that to heart, but, uh, I also took, you know, during that is, Hey, it's, it's part of the game. It goes with the territory. You have to understand that. That's the beauty of our game is, uh, so many people know baseball and, and at least they think they know uh, enough to, uh, you know, to, to ask those questions. And, uh, and, and when you don't uh, make a, it might be a conventional move, uh, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to get a question. And, and that's a, uh, the one luxury I had, Buster. Uh, once you get some time in, 
and you kind of get a little bit of respect that, okay, he knows what he's doing, whatever. But I, I can tell you this. There were games I got home, and, uh, you know, I go through the game. I said, well, I, I could have gone that way, or maybe I, I should have done that. And, you know, to me, we're like players. We, you know, you, you never arrive. You're always trying to get better. So I, I would go through games myself. Yeah. And at a time, there's a ton of scrutiny and a ton of attention and a ton of fan excitement. Uh, a lot of conversation among uh, you know folks in my business about the potential impact of the crowd in Philadelphia. Um, you experience a lot of big crowds in the postseason. How much of a factor can that be? You know what? At this point, I don't see it as a factor, really. I mean, they're used to uh, – you know, especially this deep in the postseason. I mean, they're used to it, and it, it really. You, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a again a situation where you you got to use that in your favor because it gets you to a level. And I'm talking about the adrenaline, the, the excitement. Uh, it works for the players on both sides on, on whether you're on the road too. I mean, it, it if you use it right, it, it shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't intimidate these guys at all. And uh, uh, I remember, I think it was Quato. I had a picture that when he was on the road, he just pretended that they were cheering for him. You know, that, you know, they, <laughs> that, that's how, that's how he looked at it. So, but it's, it's just an exciting time. And you know, again, there's, it's not a, like you're going into something you, you don't know what's going to happen to Philly. They, they know about those fans and uh, but I can tell you those, those players much rather have those rabid fans there screaming versus nobody in that ballpark. So that they're, they're going to enjoy it. And it's going to raise their level of play too on the visiting side. Yeah. I remember talking to jerks and pro far uh, before the third game of the wild card series in New York, he was in city field and I was like, Hey, how intimidating is that? And he looked at me like I was the biggest idiot. Like, what are you talking about? This is fun. Like having the crowd all excited is 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 a great time. Let's talk about your your new gig, Boach. Uh, why uh, for you? Why come out of retirement? Uh, I guess you were never retired, actually. Uh, why uh, why do you want to manage the Rangers at this time? Yeah, and, and you know that was uh, first question. I know that the, the Mr. Davis was asking. Uh, yeah, just uh, on my side, I'll start with the simple answer is I miss it. I, I just, I just missed the game and you know, you don't manage for 25 years and there, it just leaves you. Uh, and I don't think, and uh, that's how I felt. Uh, um, but you know, I, I did say this and, and I told my wife this, if I did get back in it, it'd have to be the right fit. Well, when see why when Chris Young called and um, he started, uh, we started talking, but he started talking about the team and his vision. Uh, I just got excited and, uh, and so, you know, the more I looked at it, the more the more excited I got, and uh, and I was ready. I mean, I had a nice three year break, enjoyed my time with the family, uh, did my fishing and golfing. But you know, I, I cracked a joke. It's gotten old, but uh, I, I got a pond in my backyard. And after it, the tenth time I caught the same bass, he said, "Like really, dude, it's time to get a job." And uh, so uh, <laughs> here, here, here I am. Uh, uh, back at it, and I, I'm excited. I really am. I, I think this Texas team they have a great core. I know, you know, it's season didn't go like they wanted. They they did lose 94, but uh, you know they need some pitching. Uh, uh, but still, you look at the the, the the core that they have, and but more than anything, it's uh, it's the division uh, the and uh, the commitment that uh, Chris and ownership has to to get the turnaround. It's been a while since they've been in postseason. I I just want to be part of this. So uh, this is why I'm back. You and Brian Sabian had a great working relationship uh, in San Francisco. How important was that that you and Chris knew each other so well before this? Well, it it was critical, really. Uh, Again, this had to be a place where I thought I would be comfortable, but that's so fit for both sides. And, uh, you know, and we go back when he pitched for me and, uh, and, you know, that's, that, that played a, a huge part in this, but, you know, again, more than that was, uh, you know, just to, to feel, you know, his passion, I'll, I'll get to turn around. He lives there and, uh, and he's determined uh, to get winning baseball back to Texas. So, but uh, you're right. It it, it played a, a big part of it, and uh, I I don't know if I would have gone somewhere else to be honest. Uh, 
Uh, and I, I didn't go, I wasn't calling anybody. I didn't have an agent going out looking for a job for me. It, you know, I, I was, I was still watching the game, watching you Buster. And, uh, but still it had, had to be something that, uh, made sense. And, and this does. How aggressive do you expect you guys will be in the pitching market this off season boats? Cause I know from talking with other teams, they think you, you guys are going to be a big factor. Yeah, I I know that uh, you know we're we're gonna be uh, as aggressive uh, as we can. You know, there's there's some good pitching out there, and it could be the be the tr- uh, trade market or a free agent market, and uh, so uh, we need some help there. there. There's no getting around it. That's that was probably the biggest issue with the club, and but you're still looking to strengthen uh, other areas. But uh, you know, I do. It's something we talked about, and uh, it is uh, you know, where the focus is right now to see if we can get some uh, some pitching help, uh, and particularly uh, on the starting side, uh, uh, you know, some experienced guys uh, to help us get turn uh, get this turned around. All right, Boach. Well, thanks for doing this. But before you go, I just want to mention to you, uh, someone you know, Sarah Langs, just jumped on the podcast. Uh, Sarah, say hi to Bruce Bochy. Hey, Boach. Congrats on the new job. We are so excited for you. My mother texted me immediately and said she's a Rangers fan now. Just full stop. She is so excited. I'm so excited to watch you go. Oh man, thanks, Sarah. So good to hear your voice. And uh, no, I, I I'm excited too. And uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, I sent a message about the spring training when we first met, and uh, I just couldn't believe how excited and uh, enthusiastic this uh, this young lady was behind me. And this is how we met. Met her mom, and uh, I think we were getting beaten one time. I said fourteen and two or something, whatever it was. But she was still right there, all in on. So hopefully, uh, I'll see you at the ballpark, Sarah, and see your mom, please. Uh, Please give her my best. And, uh, again, it's, it's great to hear your voice. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, of course, we're planning ahead for Arizona in 2023. And the first thing I said to her was, hey, you know, they're also in Arizona. So we'll see some Giants games and we'll see some Rangers games for sure. <laughs> oh, awesome. That'd be great. That'd be great to catch up with y'all. All right. I right, good. I look forward to it. And that's that's you know what, Buster. We talk about things I miss. Well, that's, that's you know these are the type of things you miss, and you have relationships and people that you uh, that you meet. And uh, Sarah's certainly one of them. Thanks, Boach. Okay, we'll talk to you. Thank you. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, you're here in Philadelphia? I am indeed. Very excited to be at the World Series game tonight, get to work from there. And I can't wait to see you, hopefully, uh, you know, and everybody. Very, very excited. Yep. Uh, I- I'm sure that, uh, you know, you. I'll, I'll, I'll find you before the, the start of the game. Uh, and unfortunately, it might be because, uh, in part, the uh, the rain. We're going to have yeah. a lot of time to wait for this start of Game <laughs> 3, perhaps. I'm curious, Sarah, you as someone who, who you know, is rooted in objective analysis, in, in data, when you hear about the impact of a crowd, and that's so much of the conversation today with these three home games in Philadelphia coming up, how much do you believe in that? It's amazing because, as you said, it's totally unquantifiable. But if there is one crowd that has pushed me in all of these, you know, recent years since I started really doing this, diving into numbers to try to figure out if we can quantify it, if we can really believe in something like that, it is probably this Philly crowd this postseason. And the fact that this team, is 5-0 at home this year. The moments we have seen from them, I mean, I think it all comes down to the game where they came back after allowing four runs in the first inning. Top of the first, you allow those runs. You end up winning that game. Teams don't do something like that unless there is something else at play. And, of course, I mean, you know, these guys are professionals. They're used to playing in loud environments. We heard Joe Musgrove talk about wanting to feed off of it. 
earlier this postseason, that didn't end up working entirely in its favor. But we know that their guys were true competitors. I know Lance McCullough said the same thing the other day, that he wants to see what this Philly crowd is all about. But if there is a crowd where we can check one toward a team, it's this one. Yeah, and I didn't ask Dusty Baker. I will today before the game is, uh, you know, the choice of McCullers today for the first game of three in Philadelphia. Is it related to the fact that McCullers has so much experience pitching in front of big crowds in big games? I suspect it would be at least a thought in the back of your mind, yes? I think so. I mean, obviously, this entire step is outstanding. But when you look at Christian Javier Framber Valdez, who have been great for this team, and it's not to take anything away from them, but the one thing they haven't necessarily done for this team is be in an environment like this. And the fact that McCullers was part of, you know, that game against the Yankees and sort of going back a little further in the Astros postseason history, the recent history, I wonder if that might be part of it. But also... You know, to his credit, seeing the way that Framber Valdez has worked with a sports psychologist, I know that's been talked about a lot this postseason, and the way he kind of finds his center, I think he would have been fine here too. And, you know, maybe he'll get a chance at some point down the road, you know, in some other season. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. We'll go with three. So... Game three tonight, as we've discussed, and very pivotal because we have a tied series right now. So the game three winner in the best of seven postseason series, tied 1-1, has gone on to win that series 68 of 98 times. That's Mm. almost 70%. And, of course, we saw this happen in the NLCS with the Phillies over the Padres. Number two. Number two is zero. So Yuli Gurriel is up to 39 plate appearances this postseason, and he still has not struck out. And of course, if you're used to his game, this isn't necessarily a surprise, but it's still a pretty fascinating thing to do in, you know, the biggest moment on the biggest stage. So it's the ninth longest streak of plate appearances without a strikeout to start a postseason. And if you look at the top uh, four, he's actually already on the list. So Joey Cora in 1995 and 51 plate appearances the entire postseason, no strikeouts. In 06, David Eckstein, who I feel like you would have expected to be on this list, had no strikeouts in his first 50. And then in 2019, Yuli Gurriel went 48 straight plate appearances to start that postseason without a strikeout. Number one. Number one is uh, 21-19. We'll go with that. So the Phillies, we're talking about this crowd. We're talking about the impact. Phillies are 21-9 and in the postseason in their history at Citizens Bank Park. That 700 win percentage is currently the best home record in the postseason for any team in any ballpark that they played at least 20 games in. And as I mentioned before, they're 5-0 and at home this postseason. They're guaranteed three more home games. The most home games by any team to finish a postseason undefeated at home is seven by the 08 Phillies. So to the idea that maybe this crowd does add something extra. They're the only team to go at least 7-0. No team has gone 8-0 at home in the postseason. All right. I just was uh, having a argument with Tim. I don't, I don't know if I classified as that. About Zach Wheeler, his start in game two. For me, there was a red flag there, Sarah. Uh, that, you know, I to the degree that I wonder if he's a starting pitcher at the end of a long season. He's had some injuries. Uh, and I thought his stuff was diminished in game two to the point that going forward, my big question about the series is, can the Phillies find enough pitching to beat the Astros? Uh, you know, knowing that Syndergaard and Ranger Suarez are probably going to go short starts in game three and four, and not knowing what Zach Wheeler is going to bring in game six, even though he's going to have an extra day of rest, just because his fastball was so diminished. Tell me what you saw in that. 
Yeah, there was definitely a velo drop. But what I will note about him is that his velo in the postseason had actually been up from where it was in the regular season, and especially up from where it had been after he came back from the injured list toward the end of the year. So I wonder, you know, what our baseline should be with him. Obviously, he's at his best when he's throwing hard. So that's a concern for the Phillies. But overall, the drop wouldn't have been as precipitous if you were looking at sort of his numbers a little bit earlier in the year. But I do agree. I mean, he had been so good. He had the lowest whip in any four-star span in postseason history entering that start. And then he becomes the first guy to allow three straight extra base hits to start a World Series game. And all of a sudden, you know, everything that we were sort of crediting the Phillies with, Nola Wheeler, this pitching that had really steadied them, seems to crumble a bit. So it is a question, and I wonder if the extra day of rest will be enough because he had that here as well, and he still didn't have the Vila where it had been earlier in the postseason. Yeah, it'll be fun going forward to see you know, this with the crowd and, and the, all the questions and the anxiety building from game to game. And by the way, when you mentioned Joey Cora, uh, no strikeouts and 51 plate appearances in 1995, I texted him because we went to Vanderbilt at the exact same time. And I was like, no strikeouts and 51 plate appearances in the playoffs? Holy crap. And he answered back with that face where it's like laughing through tears. <laughs> Like, so I appreciate that. That proud of my fellow Vanderbilt alum. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. We teased Friday. Sarah Abbott and her T-Swift World Series comps. They were great on Friday. Sarah, what do you got today for us? I'm excited. All right. Well, so for game one, we're going to start out hot with Red, a song called Loving Him Was Red. Basically, obviously for the Phillies. Color, color scheme, great pick overall, you know, great, 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 great day. Game two, devastating, devastating day for me. So day two, I will dedicate or game two, (laughs) sorry, game two, devastating. So they will be getting Shake It Off and also All Too Well, which might be one of Taylor Swift's saddest songs. Also treacherous because, um, well, I think that speaks for itself. So, you know, that's that's where we're at today. All right. I thought there'd be some sort of Miles Teller's connection because I'm assuming he's going to be at Game 3 of the World Series tonight. I'm assuming he's going to be at Game 3. So, you know, this is his time to shine for me. I'm going to really need him to do a big performance so he can get a great Taylor Swift song. That is number one thing on his radar, I'm sure. All right, let's move on to the tweets here. Joe Wilkins at August West 27 writes in, I've heard a lot about the Philadelphia crowd being a factor, but I'm pretty sure Houston has been leading the league by a significant margin in dealing with tough crowds for a long time now, and they can't be worse than New York. Yeah, and Joe, that's what I was saying to Tim. I don't think that the crowd is going to impact the Astros and affect the Astros players and take them down. I think they will lift the Phillies because that's what they do. Daniel Fryer at OKC Baseball 24 writes in, if the Athletics move to Las Vegas, what happens to the minor league team? Do they share the market? It just depends franchise to franchise. Uh, you know, they they would, you know, get another uh, AAA team in another spot. Um, I would say this, that whole conversation, you know, Rob Manfred saying that it lo- doesn't look good for Oakland. I- I'll believe it when I see it. I- I've seen Major <laughs> League Baseball, the franchise, try so many leverage plays through the years. I'm not believing any of it until they actually put a shovel in the ground someplace. They've been talking about it for as long as I've been doing this podcast. So (laughs) it's crazy. Don Irvine, our pal, writes in after another dud of a start by Verlander in the World Series. Is Framber Valdez going to be the Astros pitcher who carries them to a title? Yeah, fair to say at this point, you know, Justin now eight starts in the World Series in his career and he is winless. That is brutal. Brian Roll at Brian Baseball 5 writes in, do you think the Angels will try to trade Trout or will he ask to be traded to be a contender? Would it be a salary dump or could they get a legit package? What I've heard from other teams is they have no expectation that Trout will be traded. Is a full no trade clause, which means that uh, the player would have all the leverage. That's not ideal for the Angels. 
Last one for today, Elizabeth Hart at eHart Tweets writes in, what does Major League Baseball consider when deciding whether a roof should be open or closed in the past season? Weather was perfect for the two games in Toronto, but they had to have the roof closed, so weather clearly ain't it. No, no, it isn't. Uh, it's interesting because in Game 7 of the 2001 World Series, although they were playing in Arizona with a roof, uh, there was a squall of rain that came through in the middle of that game, and so you actually had in a, in, a, in, a, in a ballpark with a roof, you actually players getting rained on. So I think what Major League Baseball wants more than anything is a consistent product for television, and mm. that's why they're like, you know what, close the roof and let's not mess with it. There you go. Mystery solved. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching Game 3 tonight. Enjoy, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Tim, Bruce Bochy, our video producer, Adi Khan, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.